in brightest day, in blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. Pretty cool, huh? Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 184. The return of Muck Muck. Indeed. <laughs> or is it really Muck Muck? <laughs> we don't know. The Derlins can be anywhere. <laughs> could be anywhere. It could be anybody in any time. And, <laughs> and, and any issue, apparently, probably for the next 15 years. <laughs> apparently. Um, so, yeah, uh, this episode we are continuing the catch-up with uh, ep- uh, issue 29s. No special little annuals or crazy wonkiness happening in this issue uh, in this episode so we're going to start off with green lantern 29 and then work our way through the 29s this episode and um wrap it all up with some listener feedback so you want to start us off mark sounds like a good plan so we will begin with green lantern 29 which has a very interesting but still depressing cover uh with saint walker sitting Almost like in a Snow White scene with all these animals, all these animals around him, hovering on him, sitting on him, and Saint Walker looks depressed as hell. Even though, to be fair, most of the animals are kind of depressed too, except for that one squirrel-like thing that's kissing his face. And the title on the cover says "Abandon All Hope." And Robert Venditti is the writer, Billy Tan the artist, and Martin was a Looks like he's the inker. So we begin on Mogo with the. Spoiler alert, with Muck Muck, with Muck Muck searching for the terrain of Mogo for inconsistencies, and he happens to find a little little suitcase slash briefcase full of energy containers, which basically belong to the Durlins, or a Durlin anyway, which enables them to shift and shape change. So Muck Muck was kind of curious and goes, I wonder who hid you here? Then we cut back to Earth and a shocking, a shocking development that'll make Chad happy that Hal Jordan's actually on Earth. My God, and he's in Coast City. Holy shit. I know. Holy change of scenes, Batman. <laughs> that Hal Jordan arrives to visit to visit his brother Jim and his family. And Hal Hal doesn't really look and that one panel, Hal almost looks like he got the hell beat out of him, pretty much. <laughs> it's like, I can't stay. And all the whole family's like, "Why, Uncle Hal? Why?" Blah 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 blah. And then basically we've basically we have a some summation or summary of everything that's been going on. Hal to his brother Jim with the war going on and how the Green Lanterns are suffered heavy losses and he's got to stay in space and and basically you know it's not. That he basically has turned over the, the protection of Jim and Coast City and the family and all that stuff to Simon, who shows up, because Hal asked him to show up. It's funny, Simon goes to shake his hand, left-handed though, which is kind of odd, but he goes to shake hands with Jim, and Jim kind of like, uh, all all he cares about is like, why why can't why can't you stay on Earth? And, and this Joker basically go into space, and Hal then it gives gives kind of like uh, another summary of what happened with Guy and the Red Lanterns. About how the sector really isn't theirs anymore. It belongs to the Reds. Jim seems to have no clue who the Red Lanterns are. He's never heard about that. Um, so it is funny because he said, "What is with you guys in color?" So he knows obviously there are other color lanterns, but he didn't know that they were Reds. So Hal basically lays the burden of protecting everybody onto Simon, 
And a little funny exchange between Simon and Jim because Jim says, you know, my kids watch you on the news sometimes with you and your little squirrel pal, Bidge. Doesn't mention Bidge, but we know who it is. And he goes, yeah, what do they say? And he goes, they miss seeing their Uncle Hal. So poor Baz is not having really – he's not having a good day, but nonetheless. Actually, Martin Coccola looked like he was a penciler too. He wasn't the inker in this. Rob Hunter and Weldon Wong were the inkers. So there's two, two pencilers in this issue. Because now we get to the actual credit page. So the actual title of the issue is Shipping Out. You see Mogo is hurtling through space. You're having an, another exchange between St. Walker and Mogo. And St. Walker just seems to be – his ring, of course, is still hovering near him. St. Walker is still still blah, but he has moments where he's almost like himself. And he during their conversation, he indicates that he's impressed that the fact that he'd never know that – you. You know, if, if he didn't basically know because he was told, he would never know by movement-wise how it felt like that they were in space. And, you know, basically mo- a little whole conversation between Mogo and St. Walker about war and about the strategies and the greater – from the point of view of the greater good, what's, you know, again, back to whether the lanterns do more good, more good than harm. And St. Walker basically it's just – he just does con- – he just really can't bring himself to entirely buy buy into the whole idea that you know the Green Lantern's course is a is always is he's certainly the mission is noble in concept if not always in his actions, but they believe that you know fail even when the Mogo anyway believes that even when you fail that's kind of like the fertile soil of success in time. And Sam Walker almost kind of like mocks himself by going, "All will be well," because I kind of I've I've had that optimism too in my life. But Sam Walker then kind of drifts back into being depressed about how everybody who he basically shepherded through and taught how to use the blue light and to sacrifice themselves for the for that cause they basically were destroying the universe at the same time and now they're all dead too and mogo just kind of makes a comment you know there's hope within you yet saint walker even if you do not acknowledge it and saint walker at the same time he's picking up this little insect who kind of fell on his back and he write he writes him so he can continue walking he goes, I'm a saint no more. I am only a walker. As he kind of wanders off into the darkness. So that was kind of depressing. We then enter the command center on Mogo in the, in the, I guess the rebuilt citadel, essentially. And you have Salak and Kilowog discussing the light draining tech that the Durlins had sprung on them. And they kind of acknowledge the fact that, you know, this version is a little more refined than Relic's you know his first version this is more like 2.0 and it's kind of like too a little bit too refined for the blunt hands of the cooned so obviously from their point of view some they basically had to outsource this to someone to to kind of work on the relics tech and make it more advanced as they're having that conversation about who could have done it hal shows up and he talks about you know he basically asks asks kilowog how things are is everything kind of up and running Kilowog points out the systems are back up, everything's running, it took some creative engineering, but they'll hold. Then, of course, all the screens go out and everything goes blank. Kilowog does his best Han Solo on the Millennium Falcon imitation, and, and instead of banging on it, he stomps on it with his foot. And when he does that, all the screens and everything comes back on and goes, oh, now they'll hold. So they have a little – he asks about the Durland who planted the bomb, who helped plant the bomb, any, any luck finding it. As they're continuing to have – they're kind of talking about the con- continuing this conversation. Then, then uh, 
two six shows up the the female lantern that the recruit from earlier on in the series and basically Hal has his little essentially his own small council meeting between Kilowog with Kilowog Salak two six and himself and basically Hal points out that you know his instinct is as a fighter pilot is to just you know to just to just follow you know you don't think you just do what feels right but as a leader that's really not that's not really going to work and he kind of makes a little point about about jesus and i reference the jesus which just goes completely over their heads like uh when you're in the middle of dog fight you know your instinct is good but if you stop to think like what would jesus do you know it'd be the other guy's wheels touching down instead of yours and of course salak and two six are like who's lent who's lantern jesus i don't recall hearing of him so Hal basically says that he needs help which is kind of, in a way, it's unhow-like, but good. It kind of shows some growth there. That basically, for all their different reasons, that they all bring something to the table that Hal can use. You know, Salak knows the history of the Corps better. Kilowog trained a generation of lanterns, so no one's going to respect Kilowog more than him. And 2-6 is so completely analytical about everything that she can be unbiased about morale, among other things. So basically, Hal said, you know, Hal puts his little council together. They all, all the members agree. Kilowog comes up and they basically decide on their strategy about, of where they're going to use Mogo and to kind of like, uh, in Guadal, the, the planet Guadal is where they're going because they, that's where they, that's where they believe the enemy is arming themselves with the anti-light tech and, and that the, the, uh, the Guadal people are the ones, the Guadalans, <laughs> the Guadalites are the ones that are basically doing the, the uh, upkeep and the updates on Relic's previous technology. So now we go to we switch over to uh, Sector 0487, which is Planet Guadal, and we see you know the aliens working on the on the light tech. You have the uh, you have the Kund over there, kind of kind of guarding it. You have a conversation between Noel Ange talking to other member other clan members, pointing out that. Uh, that you know, basically the Kun, the Kun, the Kund are really kind of vital to the are vital partners in their in this venture. There, they kind of signed up for because one of the clan members was uh, not really gung ho to be working with the Kund and this whole group. Just then, uh, the Green Lantern show up as a kind of a basically making a surprise incursion. That so the Green Lanterns go to arrest. To arrest, the, it looks like the Kund and basically, basically whoever else is going to get in their way, and that's when the the so-called extractors are activated by the by the, the throttle workers, and this whole case of looks like basically they're almost like little hooks or like like trident hooks, sort of kind of modified, come shooting out at the Green Lanterns. Hal tries to contain it at first, a whole chamber, a whole box of them. And he's not able to contain it at first. They latch on. They latch on to the Green Lanterns. Then Hal uses more green energy. He's able to. He's able to contain them. But they still. They're still working. He's just kind of holding them at bay. He goes to the the clan member, the uh, Nolange clan member, basically, and says, "Turn them off." And he goes, "Do it yourself. If you can break the remote's encryption key, your your buddy Goran Sunshot basically finds the remote. He uh, takes." He asked him, "Can you, you know, can your ring crack the encryption?" And he goes, "No, oh, not enough time." So he takes the ring off, and basically he just p- pours himself into the remote, and he all of a sudden the uh, extractors all fall, 
down, they collapse, they're out of energy, they're turned off. And then Goran kind of points out I'm living energy. I can interface with electronic, you know, interfacing with electronics is pretty easy regardless of anything. So you have you have the Kund and the in the the Gwatlins over there are all cap or behind uh, like a green shield or like a prison sh- temporarily boxed off like a prison cell. The Gwatlins, that's it. And so, you know, Hal pretty much asked them, it's like, why, you know, you're friends of the core. So why are you guys doing this? Why are you working with, you know, with, with warmongers or, or, you know, you're building it for warmongers anyway. And he goes, we don't, you know, we don't deal with tyrants. Your rings drain the life light of the universe. As long as you continue to use them, Guado will stand against you. And Hal kind of makes the decision that, you know, the Guadalans are not going to be arrested. They're going to be escorted out of the building. Once the building is clear, they can, they can go. And Hal just points out when there's a little bit of resistance that, you know, what are we going to do? Arrest the entire planet? I mean, they're pawns. The Guadalans are basically pawns. And we won today. We actually had a victory today. And what good is it going to be if, if at, excuse me, if at the end of the day, our reputation, our, our reputation suffers because we decided to more or less enslave these people or take away, take away their freedom. And then Hal flies as he's leading the Green Lanterns who are flying off with the with the Kund, that besides, I'm saving my anger for the Durlan spy still hiding on Mogo. We switch back to Mogo, and we have the Durlan shapeshifter going through a few different incarnations. He goes back to find that stash, uh, that briefcase of energy, because he was going to take another one. And now he finds that basically the all the, all the vials of the energy are empty. And he goes, what? I had more. He goes, I, I have to keep hiding. I'm, I'm running out of time. And that Pretty much end Green Lantern twenty nine. I like it. I did too. It was, I thought it was a. I thought it was a pretty good issue. It was certainly was one of the better Green Lantern issues that we've read lately. I think. Very self contained. Uh, I don't. Does does are Hal and Co. Have you read number thirty yet? Yes, I. I have to go back and reread it, but I read it once. Yes. Are Hal and Co. still on this uh, planet? In number thirty. I'm going to look dumb if I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Okay. Well, in that case, yeah, it's a fairly self-contained story. Kind of a one-and-done story. I like it. I mean, it's part of something larger. It's obviously part of something larger, but it is fairly self-contained. And the fact that they had a few little vignettes in there that are... Some of which are related to the bigger stories. I mean, they're all related to a bigger bigger story. They may not all have huge impact on the on the whole Durlin Kuhn thing. But I like there were a few little, but you had the whole thing on Coast City, in Coast City back on Earth. I thought that was good. I liked the, uh, the, the St. Walker exchange was kind of good between him and Mogo. I think I liked the one between St. Walker and Hal better, the, the last issue. But it's still telling, and I thought that was good. Uh, I liked the, I liked the kind of the way the issue was bookended with the whole muck muck, finding the vials of energy um, for the, for the Dur- for the Durlin to be able to shapeshift and the little Hal's little small council that he put together. So Hal finally re- Hal basically trying to over are trying to overcome one of his big weaknesses. It's kind of been consistent in the way with Hal, the way he's been written and the way he's been portrayed is that Hal always seems to think that he has to do everything by himself. That Hal 
how acquiescing and becoming a team player or accepting that he, he needs help is not really his strong suit. And the fact that he's acknowledging this, kind of joking at the same time, it's like, you know, that's right. It's like, I'm, it's like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking ahead for a change. No one's more shocked than me. <laughs> that, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was pretty good. Good to see you, Jim. See you again in five years. Yep. <laughs> Until Blackest Night 2, I won't be around. <laughs> yep. The, the kids will be in college by then. <laughs> Juvie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alco Hal disappointed us one too many times, so we figured if family's not important to him, it shouldn't be important to us. <laughs> and that led down a long, long path of, of horribleness and, and youth, youth revolt. Uh, why, can't, why can't you be like that great role, role model, Uncle Baz? <laughs> he was around. Where were you? He, he taught us how to steal cars. <laughs> what did you teach us? So what did you think? Speaking of Baz, what did you think of the stuff with Baz? I almost felt bad for Baz because pretty much everybody was kind of like dissing him other than Hal. By everybody, you mean Jim. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, basically. But I mean the whole... But it's... Yeah, I guess I guess I could have phrased that better, but just even, <laughs> but he's under, but he kind of feels some pressure from Hal too. So I think so, that because he just he has because he has that line in there about you know if you, that he knows he's in charge or, or his job is to take care of you and make sure nothing happens and if it doesn't he's gonna have to answer to me kind of thing. So it's kind of like not the best assignment for Baz on that level, <laughs> but it was it was kind of, it was a good little you know cameo there. I mean. I don't know how much more of him we're going to see, and depending on one's point of view, that could be a good or a bad thing. But at least we, at least we know, and it kind of was established in Red Lantern and that Red Lanterns crossover anyway. That Simon Baz more or less is going to be the only Green Lantern allowed on Earth. He can't go anywhere else, but he stays on Earth, and that so based so that part of the sector only is his, and he's got some personal responsibilities for all the other. With all the other Earth's Green Lantern's family to, you know, he's got a special responsibility to, to look out for them. So yeah, I thought, I thought it was good. There really wasn't that. There really wasn't much in this issue that I didn't like. Uh, I kind of even their little, even the little, you know, Durlin Coons coalition there, because you have the, you got the Durlins, you got the, you know, you got the, the Braid Clan, or it actually, they may not, they're not really. That one isn't a Braid Clan, right? They were, they were a different clan. Scout I something. Yeah, <clears throat> I wasn't sure when she goes. It's the scalpers' turn. Is she was talking about them? Were they? Was she talking about her clan or were talking about the coon? Because um, she goes, "You'd rather be in prison." My clan is sacrificed greatly. It's the scalpers' turn. My clan so, is the braidsmen who got captured, and right. the scalpers are, I'm guessing, related to the braidsmen. That's what how I. That's how I read it too. I wanted to make sure you kind of read it the same way. Now. Simon's the only uh, back to Simon. Simon's the only uh, lantern allowed in Sector Two Eight One Four. What about Badge? Well, I I assume little I assume little uh, Bidgey there is obviously he's got to go back to his uh, gets another assignment because. See, I'm gonna call him Badge because he was he was called Badge in the the um, what was it the. DC Comics Robot Chicken Special Number One. Oh, did they call him? Yeah, he's... but I think it's. I think it is. I think it is supposed to be. It's either Bidge or Budge. It's one of those because I actually saw a pronunciation somewhere. I thought it's either Bidge or Budge. I think, but it doesn't matter. We know who he is. Well, until you find it, I'm I... calling him Badge. Damn it! 
and this 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 show is historic about mispronouncing things. So who cares? <laughs> um, so uh, what? So you're the big Blue Lantern fan, Saint Walker. Yes. And his conversation with Mogo. Now, do you think they're do you think they're having him have conversations with Mogo as like a flashback to the animated series? And the kind of relationship and kind of spirit guide type of thing that Mogo was for Saint Walker, or is I this know doing... is this natural for their own storyline, and they're not pulling this inspiration from anywhere? I know from what I've read that basically they ha- they are take they part of the reason why they had the interaction in this issue, or trying to inst- or not just this issue, but trying to establish a relationship between Saint Walker and Mogo was, I think, because of the I guess. They didn't phrase it that way. I think they just said. So I I read something about. It. I was just actually it was it was a good question because I just read something about it, and I think the question was brought up about that. And he said, "Well, it just seemed like you know I, they should be friends or whatever." And I think it's maybe maybe other people that are pointing out that oh, that, well, it's not like that didn't happen before. <laughs> I I like to think there was a little bit of influence on it, or at least an homage to the the relationship in the animated series. I think. I also think that just from a storytelling point of view, they're trying to get characters that can kind of like give maybe St. Walker a little bit of slowly but surely like different characters maybe are giving him bits and pieces that he needs to put, you know, to put the puzzle back together. I did find St. Walker a little, he seemed a little more depressed in this issue I thought than he was. Maybe it was just also the way it's drawn with the black background because he has no, because there's no sun around Mogo right now. Yeah. Because they, they actually do discuss that about what's, what would happen to your surface if we don't get it around the sun, um, and, and you know, relatively soon. But I like the fact that, you know, there's you – know, Mogo obviously is sensing that there's still hope in him, and clearly there's still hope in him because if there really was no hope in him, I'm sure that ring wouldn't be hovering around him. That's true. There has to be a reason the ring is hovering around him as opposed to just flying off to go to go either look for – I mean, you could make a case maybe the way the, the status of how the blues were left that the ring wouldn't go off to find another bearer because there's nothing, nothing. There's no checks and balances. There's no system that basically would tell that you know for that ring to follow any rules now because everything's destroyed. The battery's gone. All the other lanterns are gone. Technically, the blue light, at least temporarily, was completely wiped out or drained. So, I don't know. I think I like the fact that. I thought it was kind of cool that they were to talk. They were telling the story, or they were having this conversation at the same time. He's, you know, he's watching this insect crawl and then fall on his back, and you kind of, and you see kind of Saint Walker almost without, I mean, he, without a great deal of thought, and he just naturally picking him up and putting him back on his path. So, it, which I think is, you know, kind of Saint Walker like the fact that that's Saint Walker. And again, I don't think it was. Symbolic. I don't think it was. Yes, and I don't think it was a coincidence, like you said, that. That, at the, that this is going on at the at the right at the same moment that Mogo is still telling him that you know there's hope within him even if you don't acknowledge it now. Yeah. But obviously Saint Walker is born to help and born to get born to give and do more than he ever takes. So even when he's not you know consciously thinking about it, you know he he does it. So. Yeah. The uh, the well the the bug falling down is symbolic. You know the the bug is climbing up. Saint Walker was the the main guy in the the Blue Lantern Corps. Then it falls over where he's at now. Yep. Now he's picking it up, which is the process he's at uh, at this current moment, and now it's continuing on its way. And plus, the, when you the bug is actually now he reached the peak and the pinnacle and it's kind of going going down again. Mm-hmm. So he kind of 
So maybe maybe the fact maybe they're slowly but surely hinting that Saint Walker is getting close to the point where you know he, the tipping point, reaching the peak of his of his doubt and his inability to, for lack of a better way of describing it, see the bigger picture beyond you know his I don't want to say fear but his hesitation, mm-hmm. and maybe he's getting close to where he's gonna he's gonna you know get to the make it to the top once again of that mountain where he was been before so he's going to embrace hope and then then have a slightly easier path after that so i'm hope i mean i'm hoping that the same walker thing i mean this is not what i you know honestly this is kind of what i expected i mean once 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 everything happened you know in pre-lights out and then through through lights out i didn't think saint walker was just going to wake up and was like okay i'm ready let's let's go get him guys I didn't think that I didn't think that was going to happen, but I just I also just hope this thing doesn't go on for like you know like another ten issues before Saint Walker is blue again. Yeah. But hopefully it'll be a dramatic moment or a, a super relevant moment when he becomes blue again too. So, so that that would make it worth it if it if it takes a little bit longer. But I think we're slowly but surely getting there. It, it was a relatively short, you know, contained few you know two pages, but I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that we finally got to figure out what uh, Kilowog's middle name is. Fonzie. <laughs> or Han, one of the two. Yeah, that is true. She, she Kilowog I, I, Fon I, I, Solo. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think of the Fonz thing as much because of the fact that it's not like it was. It's not like it wasn't working to start with, and he hit, hit it and it turned on, or vice versa. The fact that it was running, it stops, and he bangs it, and it comes back on again. Yeah. But you're right. There, there is an element of 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 happy days there with with him. But the first thing I did think of was was Han banging the Falcon when it didn't when it, when it started powering down on him, and it just gives you so much confidence when you bang something. And it, oh yeah, it's it's fine now. <laughs> as long as we don't hit anything else. <laughs> it's like when you can't get a soda out of the soda machine, then you hit it and it comes rolling out. You're like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I the only I mean I okay cool that they're acknowledging that Hal's being rasher than he should be. Uh, not, nice to see that he is acknowledging it himself. So so good on uh, good on the writer for for bringing this this to light. So at least the writer knows that Hal isn't acting like Hal. So at least it's explained in story. It's not like we're not getting an acknowledgement of it. Now right. now let's see where Hal goes from here. That's the problem. Like. Is the writer now acknowledging it, and then nothing's going to change with Hal, and we're just going to say, well, we did have that one scene where he acknowledged it, or is he really going to change things going forward? Is he really going to rely on Kilowog and Salak in 2-6? And speaking of 2-6, don't you find it kind of odd that he's called this little small council together, and she's still just a rookie? Yeah, especially a, ro- a true rookie, because she doesn't have the little symbol on her chest yeah. yet. She's just got the white... It was interesting. I mean, yes, that's. It would seem like an odd choice. Maybe that was. I know they tried to explain it in the story why they picked her. Maybe also, you know, maybe it's also a. Moving beyond how it's described, maybe it's more of a hook because, it's kind of like to balance the equation that you have. You know, basically you have three extremely veteran lanterns in this small council, and then you have basically one, really no pun intended, green rookie, that maybe it was they felt they needed to have somebody. Also, I guess maybe from a. Looking at it from Hal's point of view, not a writing point of view. From Hal's point of view, maybe again he's trying to put a put a group together that is going to 
going to have some kind of a pe- they all bring something to the table but maybe he also thought it would be of be able to appeal to the some of the younger lanterns and the and the younger recruits by having Hal show that you know he's not just listening to the people that have been Green Lanterns for you know for for years and years and years that he's willing to bring somebody else in who is relatively inexperienced but she brings something to the table that many others don't. So I thought maybe that that could be it too because we know Salak is there because of his his knowledge and his and also and like he points out the history of the core, the way they've dealt with other you know. Basically, their conflicts, their struggles, the problems they have with different races, their relationships, things that even if Hal's not up to snuff on all of them, Salak probably will from all his years. Um, as protocol, you have Kilowog, who's going to have the respect of, of the boots on the ground. So maybe she's, you know, two sixes there just to kind of bridge the gap between the rookies and the and the veterans too. Mm-hmm. But they at least they do give you a reason story wise at least from her Anna. So I do I, though I did kind of find it interesting that it said your analytical mind can give an unbiased read on morale, which is kind of funny because morale is not exactly something that's a scientific measurement, you know. Yeah. That's more that's more it's kind of more of a of a of a gut thing, more of a being able to feel thing, you know how people how people are feeling relates to more. So that was kind of that was kind of you know I'm not sure if that entirely fits bringing somebody who's completely analytical and could be un and biased about everything is that makes plenty of sense tying it into the morale i'm not maybe you know maybe she can the unbiased part yes i'm not sure you know i don't know it's hard to break morale down into like you know a mathematical equation though yeah uh the guatlian stuff don't really have much to talk about other than goran's son is awesome yeah he is pretty cool yeah and uh the other thing I was going to say about it is don't the Guatlians kind of look like the um, well, like the Bing was from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with the aerosol? I think maybe a little. Yeah, that reminded me of it. And they actually and they and when they were behind the little in their little green prison there in that one scene, it almost looked like Muck Muck again. Yeah, it does. Yeah. For, I had to. That, I think that's what that's what threw me off when I was going back because I thought I missed something, and that's why I stopped for a second because it's like, oh, it's like it looks like Muck Muck, but I think it's just a Guatlin. It's like, yeah, it's just a Guatlin. <laughs> He's just Guatlin. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Durlin at the end, you know, just tying the hole. They need a certain amount of energy to to shapeshift. So there's all there's that. Is there anything else you want to talk about on this issue? I don't think so. But like I think we both think this was one of the better issues, certainly during the uh, the whole Coons Durlin War uh, arc, if you want to call it that, the storyline anyway. That I think this is one of the better issues related to that. I mean, with having stuff that actually ties into the war, I think that there's actually some good stuff in here. So. Ah. <laughs> and from that point, then we switch to. <laughs> Let's dive into the madness, folks. <laughs> um, Green Lantern Corps number 29, picking sides. Um, so we're basically back where we left off in number 28. The lanterns are surrounded, but they're, they're, they've got the lanterns and the villains and the Star Sapphire are, start, are surrounding Von Daggle, who can't shapeshift. Um, they're being attacked by Durlins. Um, Bullfung- John's telling him to keep a circle around Von Daggle. We need him. Bullfunga leaps into the, the Durlin 
Durlins and the Klansmen and the Braidsmen and fights starts fighting each other. Uh, John uh, says you can't sit on the sidelines, Von Daggle, and starts uh, helping Bullfunga with the fight. And he's leaving the choice up to Von Daggle, and he's like, you're letting me go. Uh, and uh, he... The the Durlin shapeshift into Bofungas, all of them, uh, just to, to throw everyone off. Uh, Von Daggle runs off and runs into some Durlins and is like, uh, they're like, you need to help us. And he's like, well, and if I refuse? And then the, what's his name? Um, what is the, the hunter guy. Hunter dog? Yeah, hunter dog. Hunter there we go. He shows up, kills some Durlins. Um, Von Daggle runs off. John finds him says help us and he's like well i'll help you my partner my first partner in my covert unit the corpse the guardian sent her on a mission and i never saw her again promise me you'll find her and i'll help you and hunger he's like hunger dog can track him down awesome uh how how do i know you i can trust you here's the rub you can't punches him Uh, space sector three eight three one eight nine we're with island a and uh uh the lantern she took with her they are with, uh, what is his name? Does he have a name? Yeah, Lorag. A few, yeah, I was going to say, it's a few panels uh, a few panels after I think they actually go back and mention who he was. Not, not a real natural segue there. Yeah. <laughs> now, they actually do mention the second panel, Lorag. Yeah. So, Lorag takes them to Lyolande to the Shadow Market, which is basically, uh, one exists in every sector. At least you can buy, sell, trade, anything you desire, weapons, drugs, and people. So there's basic. They're basically there to see Jabba, kind of like this. This shadow yep. market's Jabba in a way, uh, you know, a, a, a you know a, a smuggler, someone at the top of the food chain. Um, Laura goes in money, and he's like, "Well, have you heard any in- intel on a on a missing green?" And he's like, "Well, I've heard of it, but uh, nobody. Um, she was abducted." But uh, your Korrigarian was taken by someone else. Uh, and then Iolande uh, tries to get him to talk. And then that's when um, Hual yep. uh, lights up his ring and goes nuts and like threatens the guy. And Iolande tells him to stand down. And then uh, back in on Mogo, some of the recruits are fighting uh, in the danger room. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, Iolande or not Iolande, uh, Aresia ends the simulation. She's teaching some of the recruits uh, while Hanu stands aside and chides her about ring use because this is getting annoying as shit with the ring use thing. I get it, but we don't need it every issue. Stop it. They, it almost it almost feels like it's not even natural. Like, what do they have to be just standing around chiding people about? You know how they use their rings. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it's kind of like if, if Woody had gone straight to the police, this never would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it's kind of like, it's like every every time when you have when, when someone's about to use a ring, it'll be like that little figure will pop out. You're destroying the universe. I just wanted to tell you. <laughs> um, then Druk's like, well, um, what do he say? Druk survived, uh, survived 18 cycles in the Blood Bowl without a ring. There's nothing you can teach Druk. And Hanu and Druk decide to go up against each other. And while they do that, uh, Kilowog talks to Aresia. And they're talking about stuff. 
uh, about the Kuhn and the Durlins, and you know all the communication is apparently back online. Have you heard from John? No. Does John know about Sector 2814? No. John's going to be pissed. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell him. Um, then back to Muzz, where they're still fighting, and then the Durlins grab, turn into pterodactyls and grab um, Von Daggle to take him to his secret, super secret energy supply. Um, and then the John grabs uh, the two villains and, and Star Sapphire, and they fly out of the city and into the desert to lead them out there. Uh, Bofunga thinks they're running away. They're not. R- really is. It's, uh, oh, no, Tremors. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, big, wor- you know, man-eating worms come up out of the ground and snatch them and kill them. Um, there's a moment between uh, Fatality and John. And then uh, we go in. We go back to, to Von Daggle and the Durlins, and they're at the energy storage, and then John comes busting in with his company, and then uh, with Easy Company, and uh, they start fighting the Durlins. Uh, Von Daggle gets his hand on his stuff, and then, like, chugs four vials of it, uh, and then turns into this Lightning Beast thing, which I'm pretty certain is the Lightning Beast that changed... Uh, um, Lightning Lad and his sister when they were kids. <laughs> it was Von Daggle. That's how he did it. Uh, <laughs> that's the that's the final form he landed in when he couldn't change anymore. Um, anyways, so uh, apparently him and John had a deal all along, and uh, Hunger Dog's like, "Yeah, I'll help you," and then he explains it. Um, so now, Space Sector. Um, it, back 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 to Iolande. She's talking to Kilowog. Kilowog's like, "Get your ass back to Mogo." Hey, by the way, this recruit kind of went ape shit. Um, and just FYI, uh, Space Sector Seven Hundred, the planet Corona Seven, into an ice pyramid where uh, Star Wars Yeti thing is uh, telling someone to shut up, who's behind bars and who's quoting the uh, the. Uh, Oath, and uh, this thing tra- transforms into surprise, surprise, a Durlin. And next, the secret history of the Durlins. Yay! I can't wait for that. <laughs> More Durlins. I know you can't. You count the minutes to that one. More Durlins. <laughs> I'm sorry, Van Jensen. It's just it, I know it's not you, man. It's just this <laughs> this whole Durlin thing is going on so long. I'm done with it. The Coon, the Durlins, I, it has nothing to do with you guys. It's just the fact that these storylines just go on forever these days. And it's not just these these titles. It's like every DC title, these stories just go on forever and ever. And they don't stop. Ugh. Anyways, that's the issue. So uh, what would you think? Uh, well, to be fair, there were, some inter- there were a few interesting moments, I thought, in this issue. Like, <laughs> I know I'm getting I'm, I'm getting to that because as I was see it's funny again you're you're reading my mind because I was just about to allude to the fact that before we even started recording about this, uh, Chad Chad and I had a few brief words about this issue so I kind of knew how Chad felt going in, <laughs> and what I 
I guess this, before I give you specifics, my, <laughs> I had anticipated us having this conversation. <laughs> and I kind of was going to say that there are some really interesting points, a few interesting points in this issue, though, of course, almost none of them have to do with the actual Durlin storyline. <laughs> I did like the whole Jeruk, Hanu kind of exchange, though. Obviously, Jeruk is kind of like, as long as he doesn't give himself a energy construct arm, he's kind of at a disadvantage, I think, wrestling with only one arm. <laughs> But I I like their I like that being kind of like almost like a literally like a background thing while Arisia and Kilowag are having their conversation that this whole thing is going on and Hano seemingly is proving his point without you know any words needing to be exchanged. I I did like I felt bad for uh, Haral there, Hawal. It's like Hawaldo Rivera that I felt bad for him locked locked in prison there on uh, wherever the where the Durlins are keeping all these Green Lanterns. He kind of looked really poor. He looked especially pathetic as he's sitting there trying to recite his oath. I kind of, I felt bad for him. Um, I like that Ayolande there is, you know, the way she's looking for Sorenik. I kind of like that. And I like, for, and I like, I'm starting to like Bullfunga a, a little more. Too. Probably, probably. Which is kind of funny because I, I was I meant to mention this last time when we were did, when we did the annual issue that I think there was one line in the issue which I thought was really bad. They shouldn't. They had been when Bullfunga is fighting Kilowog, I think, and Kilowog says like relent, Bullfunga. It's like yeah, really. <laughs> His whole name is like the un- unrelenting or whatever, and it's like you're gonna relent because that's just so natural to say in combat. <laughs> it's like oh, I, but I yeah, I'm starting. They're doing it. I think what the, one thing they are doing well, I think, is they're doing a good job at trying. It's showing us the personalities of the criminals that are I will agree with out. that. So I think that is a big plus. The and that's one of the reasons I think I like the annual, despite the whole narrative structure thing we, we talked about. But I do like that. So that's why. So I I give you know. So I give credit where credit do, is due for that. And I think they're interesting characters, and they're being written as interesting characters. And that being said, I don't really care much about Van Van Daggle over here and, and the whole Durlin thing. <laughs> I, I care about Von Daggle. I don't care about the Durlins. Like I said, I like Von Daggle. I like I even like Durlins. Like I got history with the the Legion, you know? Like I I I know where you know a little bit about this race and I think it's interesting. I just think that it's just going on too long. That's all I think. you know, and, and Von Daggle was a part of the corpse. We all love that storyline. So, I mean, it's just this whole – in that concept. So it's just this whole thing. Uh, and um, back to – what in the hell is – why? Please, God, tell me why. I'm not upset about it. I don't think it's bad. I just want to know why. Why do we have these black, white, and red random panels? I was waiting for you to mention something like that <laughs> again because when I was reading it last time – It's a whole damn page time, this time. On I know. When I was – yeah, with the with the whole tremors. Thing. Yeah. When I was rereading this last night, I was like, oh, because I forgot that we, they were panels in this issue, like they were last time. So I was like, oh, Chad's gonna love that too. The lot. Yeah, it is odd. I mean, it's it's. I mean, obviously, it's an homage or you know, style wise, but it is kind of it, it's. I don't know. It seems out of place. It, 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 for me, it just kind of throws it off. Now, maybe other people would just read it through and be like, oh, huge action scene, this is appropriate. But for me, I'm just like, wait, wait, wait what? Particularly when you get to the, like the like I said, the tremor scene, because it's an entire page. 
So it's really off-putting right there. Um, I do art-wise, this lightning beast thing that Von Daggle transforms into—that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool looking. Um, other than that, not a whole lot to say about this issue. Uh, we're 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 yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about this? You want to just move on? I think we can move on. All right. So now we're going to switch over to Red Lanterns 29, continuing the Red Daughter of Krypton storyline. Charles Sewell and Alessandro Vitti remain the writer and the artist. We go back, we begin as Yasmalt, Scalix, and uh, Zox are having a conversation as this impressive little cannon creature with, I mean, creature, excuse me, cannon uh, weapon. This little uh, technolo- technological find there of uh, Scalix that he wanted to test it out. He's been, you know, he'd been looking for, he'd been looking for a suitable target for this thing ever since he found it in the in the armory. It's got, it's got a, it's just the war, you know, the warheads with the a neutron star core matter. It's just a tip, and they wanted to test it out and and at the same time see how strong she is. And they basically you find out that they're shooting it at Supergirl. And of course, Supergirl just basically just destroys the missiles. She has no problem with it. And of course, with her own anger issue, she freaks out and she basically destroys the uh, cannon in the process. She quickly apologizes, or she doesn't actually do too much apologizing. Then she will later on. But they, but it begins a common theme throughout the issue in her Red Lantern arc that she basically the angered. She lashes out, then she kind of regrets what she does. They end up in the bar, which at the moment all they call is the bar. It's kind of funny because there's a lot of anti-cat, anti-Dexstar references there. No cats written on the wall. A big like cat buster sign hanging from the ceiling. And they're having a conver- and they're having a conversation. Scalix is fixing drinks, and then a guy kind of comes in and goes, you know, she's a kid. You can't give her booze. And of course, she, Kara, uh, kind of takes offense to that it's kind of like you know i'm a kryptonian i can take all this this is it's not a big deal you know you, you you're not my parent yada 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 you know guy basically had taken the drink that she was going to get and was holding it this time and then she puts her hand around the drink and guy's hand and crushes the drink in guy's hand you know guy's hand is bleeding and that's when and you know she she apologizes for that you can tell guy's upset guy tells the group were going on patrol, and of course, uh, Socks over there is like, "What do you?" He's completely confused by that. Guy gives Kara some BS story to go check out something, you know, behind the moon, and basically that's just a, a little ruse to get her to get out of the way, so he could ever so quietly trying not to get her to hear talk about what we have a problem with her. Um, you know she's because because of her power set and because of who her you know who her cousin is that you know a Kryptonian t- teenager with a red ring could be a really bad thing. So I think we kind of we kind of you know need to deal kind of need to get some input on this. We switch to Indonesia, where Superman is saving a bunch of victims from a from a tsunami as he's rescuing a bunch of people. Looks like another bunch of people are about to get killed by a ship being brought in by the wave and that's when guy shows up and he saves them and he goes i thought you could use a hand 
Superman kind of recognizes Guy, which is kind of interesting. It says he really looks nothing like Guy, Guy, you know, nothing like your traditional Guy anyway, regardless of the red uniform. But they have a com- but they have a conversation. Um, he goes, yeah, I'm Guy Gardner because Superman recognized him as one of Hal's people. Though he kind of points out, I'm not really one. Of- I was a I was a Green Lantern, but I'm not really one of Hal's people. He points. He explains the whole situation about the red lan that he's a red lantern several times throughout this issue. Superman points out <laughs> repeatedly, actually, that you know I've never heard anything good about red lanterns. So Hal's never said anything good about red lanterns. And Guy explains how 2814 is now the red lantern sector, and their job is to patrol it, keep it out of trouble. And Superman more or less says, "Hey, I really don't care what you do. I judge, you know, I, I care what you do, but I really co- don't care about your background here." You know, I judge people by what they do, not what people say about them. He kind of – guy makes a little comment about Wonder Woman. It's like, hey, you meet – when Superman says he's got some place to be, it's like, hey, you meeting up with Wonder Woman? And Superman's like – who? The, he's trying to figure out who could have told him. It's like, it must be Barry. Got to be Barry. I thought that was cute. And he goes uh, – and guy goes, well, you know, I, before you leave, there's something we uh, – I want to talk to you about, and that's when Superman's – sees as Galax and uh, Zox show up with her that Kara is there and she's a Red Lantern. And, he go- and Guy goes, well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. And Superman, of course, freaks out and he's grabbed a guy b- by the neck. And Guy, you know, he's like, what did you do to her? And it's like, I didn't do anything. It's like, I'm, that's what I came here to tell you about. It's like, you know, you can't make someone be a Red. And, of course, then you get into nice little family dynamics between Ka- between Kara and Superman he tells her to take the ring off. I can't. And that's when Skalix reveals the news that they've been keeping from her, which is that, you know, you can't take the ring off. You know, it's basically it's going to be with it's going to be on you forever, because if you do, you'll die. And that's when Skalix again points out, maybe foreshadowing that, you know, a blue lantern could remove a red lantern ring, but they're all gone. And he goes, you're one of us now. And it's like and we're glad glad to have you. And that's when she she completely freaks out. Heat vision blowing out. Guy wants to talk to her. Superman kind of says, you've done enough. I'll talk to her. He goes to fly to talk to her. She whacks him with a ship. He goes flying off. Guy can't help but comment, you know, great work there, pal, as he goes flying. Supergirl kind of laughs at what she did. Meanwhile, then another wave of the tsunami comes through, focusing and aimed towards her. She kind of like evaporates it with her heat vision. She's kind of on her hands and knees with all the steam from the waves she just burned off and now she's still concentrating on the forever comment about wearing a red ring you know Kara turn, looks up and the red lanterns are there and guys trying to say you know I want you know she asked why didn't you tell me about this and it's like well it's not the easiest thing to bring up it's like I kind of was waiting for the right time and she kind of was thinking well maybe you know maybe Superman you know if anyone can take care of it you know Superman might be able to help you deal with it and Kara goes, you know, you don't understand, and neither do you. And of course, that's when Superman's back in the picture. I'm not a piece of luggage. I'm not a problem for the for the grown-ups to solve. And she, and she says, you know, the more I think about it, I don't care if I can't get this red ring off. Maybe I should just stay this way. Maybe that's healthy. And she kind of like sings the praises of uh, the Red Lanterns, like you know, they, they don't repress how they feel. They don't care how people think about them. <laughs> and Scalax, who seemingly is her biggest fan, is going yes. And guys going, oh, uh oh. So, Hal and Kara basically come to some sort of understanding that, you know, that if she wants to be her own person, let her be her own – go ahead, be her own person. He points out that you've been kind of accepting 
you've been choosing anger over the acceptance of you know what's happened to Krypton, that you be, you're becoming anger, that you've been accepting it for so long and focusing on your anger, you're becoming anger. He goes, be your own person, but you know just I just hope you like who you turn out to be in the end. There's a little exchange at the end between Hal, between Guy and Superman, that Guy tries, Superman tries to give Guy like a pseudo pip talk. It's like, you know, you need to reassure me here, Gardner. You know, this whole situation doesn't make me happy. And, and that, you know, if she's going to stay with you, you got to have to do a lot more. You have to do a lot more than try to be better. And he goes, Superman, I tell myself that every day. And so basically that ends their, that ends their conversation. Uh, Superman kind of before he leaves though points out that you know this isn't just about rings it's about family and Zox of all people goes you know we are a family wake up and Superman's like what he goes he goes we are a family and, he, and Superman's kind of funny and he goes ballsy little thing it's like yeah guy kind of just acknowledges yeah Zox kind of is that way he's a big ball and he's ballsy Superman flies off uh, all the Red Lanterns come back to Yismalt Kara is kind of like, when do I get a statue? When do I get a statue? It's like, well, uh, when you get rid of a space Hitler like like we did, then you can get one. They see a huge crater on the surface. Scalix goes, could it be a meteorite? And Guy, of course, almost like you know, speaking to the readers here, is like, don't be, don't bet on it. it's never, it's never just a meteor. Kara goes to check it out. They look inside, and what do they find? They find Blees. You know, beaten, her wings look absolutely destroyed, she's bleeding, and they're asked what happened, where's Rancor, and she just, you know, mutters, atrocitous. And that is the end of Red Lantern 29. God, Superman's a dick in the new 52. Yeah, he is, he is. And, and I think they were even trying to tone it down a little bit, you know, in this issue a tad, and I think he still, I thought the same thing, it's like, he still comes across as a, as a, as a pompous dick. Mm-hmm. And the the whole thing with uh, with him not knowing about reds or different colors. So Blackest Night happened, but none of the other lanterns were present. <laughs> Alrighty, <laughs> sounds great. Well, yeah, that's kind of the. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to think how we. Yeah, yeah, I don't recognize the uniform crap. <clears throat> Yeah, there seems to be a whole lot of that because since, since even though it is you know Tal's brother, so at least you can explain some of that away, like in the Green Lantern issue. But there's a whole lot of that this month. It's like there's like a there, there's other color lanterns at the same time acknowledging like in that issue. Yeah, there's other. What's with you lanterns and colors? It's like well, obviously you know there's others. That, I don't know. I like, but I like I, I kind of like the exchange between super the exchanges between Superman and and Guy. A little bit, yeah. I thought I. I Superman's face just looks so weird in this issue. Yeah, he just looks like a dick every single time. He looks like he's got like this smirk scowl on his face. Yeah, he does. He's certainly not a likable-looking Superman. Mm-mm. The bar scene. <laughs> the they even they even drag out uh, the syllables for guy. I like that. Yeah, hold up. <laughs> You're giving her booze, Scalix. <laughs> <laughs> like they drag out the yeah yeah hold up <laughs> yeah 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 that 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 was that was good the big hole in the floor it's like was there a fight it's like no Zox overdid that I'm overdid it it's like I'm gonna fix that um and the cat buster thing from the ceiling is great 
the the whole I'm if I want a drink I'm gonna have a drink thing is that yeah, was kind of stupid. Well, that's but she is being portrayed as a quote unquote teenager, so I yeah, guess that's, that's the way. So that so I guess that's kind of the om- the reference point, you know, to the to the teenager in her or the homage there to typical teenage behavior. It's like I'm gonna do what I want to do. It was a good read though. It wasn't it wasn't a lot. Yeah, I mean, not too bad. It was. I mean, we went through it quick, but we kind of knew that there was. It was a pretty straightforward story, so that's one of the reasons why we decided to go through it pretty you know, linearly. Um, so I liked it. I thought it was. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I wonder. I wonder if it would have been better as a red, uh, as a Supergirl story, though, since it had Superman in it. Probably. But I. But, but it, you know, yeah. you, you do have the connection with Guy. You know, guys manning up and, you know, hey, Superman, just wanted to be honest and upfront with you, let you know what's going down type of a thing. So I, I guess that makes sense, too. It's not that it doesn't make sense as a Red Lantern story. I'm just saying that I wonder if it's – is this better suited as Red Lanterns or as Supergirl? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it could go probably either way, but since they're probably trying to give a bit – more of a boost in sales to the Red Lantern book. That's probably why they have it here. Probably. Because they have Superman guest star. But I thought it was pretty... I I enjoyed the issue overall. It certainly doesn't... It doesn't do anything to, to hurt the momentum, I think, that this book has right now. This book is kind of chugging along right now. So... It's... I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. It's kind of like a short and sweet issue, but... There's nothing wrong with that sometimes. True enough. All right, uh, Green Lantern New Guardians. We'll wrap things up here with that. Um, we open on Tamaran long, long ago, uh, where Zal uh, is. Uh, I said Zal last time, or is Exile? Exile. You said. I think you. I forgot. Already. Yeah, I think you said. Yeah, you. Because I, I said Exile. You said. And I'm, I'm trying to remember how you pronounced it last time. Zal. I think it was. I don't, give me quickly. Give me the options again. I think I'll tell you which one I think you said. I think it's. I think it was Zal. Uh, I think you said Zal. It was Zal. It absolutely was Zal. Okay. Zal is, uh, you know, got all the Tamarins worshiping her. One day she leaves. Tamarins follow, but not all of them. They colonize some planets. Uh, the and then Calendar, Calendar, Calend. I just stick with calendar. I mean, yeah. It's probably the way it's <laughs> Calendar, whatever. Um, calendar! <laughs> she's, uh, she's talking about her past and how she uh, never saw anything. She she was raised in the faith, but saw too much, basically, crap going on to bother with it, uh, to really believe. And then Zal shows up and heals everybody, and then she believes and Zal gives her a portion of her power so that people can, you know, see and believe, and they start spreading the message of Zal. Um, and then Zal would come to set things right. Now cut to now, and um, uh, Carol and Kyle and, and company are trying to talk to Zal, and she builds up a little cathedral and uh talks to Kyle oh you you're not gonna kneel he's like no and he says something interesting which I kind of like I really really like considering how much I like the first ion storyline 
she says, and you would not kneel. And he says, sorry, no, I'm not really inclined to bend at the knee just for a light show. I've seen gods before, might have even been one. <laughs> so that's cool. And she's like, you won't kneel? Good. Um, so they just have this whole conversation about, I don't expect you to kneel. I don't need worship or anything. And then the guardians start talking to her and like, you know, technically you're gods. And we're like, no, we're not gods. And she's like, well, technically you kind of are. Makes some good points there. Um, and then she sends some of her power to start setting things right. And then Kyle sets up a a barrier and is like, no, I don't, I'm going to need more explanation. Um, you, you know, I, I, I can't just let this stuff go out to the people without knowing what it would do. And he's like, I'm not antagonizing anyone. And uh, uh, Calendar is just like, uh, Calendar, whatever, is like, uh, uh, let let me help let me help them understand and you stop pissing off my god and then there's a little exchange between Carol and Kyle trust but verify or just verify and yeah, Kyle goes Republican and Carol goes hippie yeah that was good <laughs> and uh, so Zal's like all right fine show him and uh, Kyle's like stay stay here with the with the guardians Carol and she's like yeah while well, you get to see the sights with a flying supermodel yes sir Mr Kyle sir. Uh, so they go flying off, and you know Kyle can see all the the stuff that uh, Zal's power is doing to restore the land and the people and make things right. Um, all of a sudden, blue energy bolt, bam, uh, and that God Killer guy shows up, and he starts telling the story about who Zal really is. She was someone on uh, Tamara uh, uh, Tamaron a long time ago. Well, is it Tamaron? She looks like a Tamaranian, but. Maybe somewhere else. Um, she was captured. Yeah, I think she's. I think that was supposed to be. Uh, she was captured. She was tortured. Um, they they changed her. She was reborn. She had tons of power. She destroyed them. Um, she drove them off her planet. She saved everybody, and then uh, she, she she then she left, um, and. Then, what, she destroys a planet? Makers, okay, the Makers returned after after a while. And then she confronted them and lashed out. And then her, her rage destroyed. And it says here, enemy and believer alike, you shattered our world. So in her rage at what they did to her and the fact that they had the gall to come back, she just exposed, you know, exposed the full brunt of her power and destroyed this planet. Uh, Calendar thinks she's lying. Uh, the God Killer's lying, and he's like, "I'm not." And then Zal's lack of response basically means it confirms it for him. He explains that they're the God Killers, and this is what they're here to do. In the last page, we are the God Killers as they all drive uh, stakes through her body, Zal's body. The end. And for those of you who are not aware, Tamaron is the homeworld of Starfire. From the Teen Titans, which makes which makes sense based on the looks of the of the way they're drawn. Mm -hmm. Makes me wonder. None of the Tamaranians have any sort of power, but when Calendar Calendar, I think it's Calendar because um, of the apostrophe. Yeah, well, I think it's Calendar because of the way that uh, that uh, Star Starfire's name is pronounced. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I know it's pronounced a certain way. Um, but anyway, that's why I said Zal and, and everything. But um, 
Yeah, so Tamara... So, but anyways, Calendar's little power where she pulls, you know, puts the, the flame in her hand and everything. None of the other Tamaranians have that. So I wonder what... Because I didn't read Red Hood and the Outlaws long enough to figure it out. I wonder what uh, Starfire... Uh, uh, yeah, Starfire's uh, power origin is in the New 52. If it has anything to do with Zal. It is possible, then. As I just say that, basically, at that point, she had some of Zal's power, which is why she was able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but what did you think of the issue? I actually... When I reread it, I actually really... I mean, I liked it when I read it the first time, but I really liked it more, probably more when I when I liked it, when I read it the second time. Um, I I like the background of the God Killers. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought the fact that, you know, basically they were... makes more sense about why they really don't care about the repercussions necessarily of what they do or what they leave behind because of the way that quote-unquote, the way they were freed was kind of in a fashion like that, too. I mean, they were certainly not freed from, you know, believing in a god or being having to kneel and, and, and you know, pledge your whole existence to another being like that. That They weren't freed in a way that they would prefer. To, <laughs> they wouldn't have preferred to be freed that exact way either with the whole planet, you know, shattered and things like that. But they basically took it as, you know, we were, you know, they were, they were freed from bondage and then, and now they're doing, they're, and they're trying to give that same gift to the to the universe by by slaying all these quote unquote gods, but all along, of course, they've been they've been looking for her to get a you know to try to get a to kind of get payback. Now, the fact that the light they use is kind of blue is inter- is is interesting too. Hmm. That's I think, but it, and based on the way the next issue ends, that kind of it may not be a coincidence. I I just see there was something else that. Thought there was something else in particular that I that I, I liked, but I did I did, but the god the god killers themselves. So what it no well, what it so you liked so you liked the part when Kyle was talking and basically, I think I we assume is referring to his time as Ion. He's referring to his time on uh, as Ion. Most likely he's referring to his time on Ion as in his time in the crappy twelve issue series. However. It's vague enough to where I can think I, I as a you know a fan of the original Ion storyline and you know the from way back can think oh he's probably talking about that. I think he is talking. I mean, he was not nearly as as powerful as Ion the second time as he was the first. So I would assume he has. To, if there's a reference point, it would ha- I think it would have to be the original time as Ion, unless he's talking about when he was even as well. I won't even get into the whole time as Parallax because he shouldn't have had any power to begin with, really, when he was Parallax. That was kind of a, another thing that didn't make any sense. Uh, since he had no power when Parallax went into him, <laughs> he, didn't, he was butt naked and had no ring. <laughs> sure. But the point is, but the point is, uh, I I think he has to be referring to, especially so, since he's talking past tense. He's not talking about him as being being as a white. Then he ha- I think he has to be talking about Ion One. Yeah, I, that's. I think it's. I think it's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I just like this God Killer storyline. I'm really digging it. Uh, I like the the, the I, I like. I like the the tie in to more. DC Cosmic with Tamaran. I do like that. I mean, we've got the Durlins and the Kund and all this stuff, which is. Okay, so I don't. I don't want to say it's. 
it's standard fare because we haven't gotten storylines like these in a long time. But the Kund, the Durlins, the um, God, the Daxamites, the Korgarians, those are fairly standard fare. Uh, but for the for you know the the Tamaranians to show up in a in a lantern book, that's cool to me. So I do like I do like the 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 Tamaranian tie there. That's I think that's that's cool. And obviously, based on probably where they're going and probably for the next story arc after the the uh, or at least the story arc that begins with the with the annual, that I think that's probably not a coincidence that they're trying to tie. Kyle's adventures into like the bigger DC universe, the more cosmic aspect of it. So that's probably they're probably like connecting the dots almost to kind of get you to get you used to this. But this the whole thing related to the source wall was probably the beginning. That's fine. So so I thought that was good. I kind of, I did kind of find it interesting that you had the main god killer there talking about the uh, uh, I I am many things: a murderer, a monster, a savior. You know, and then he throws in like friend, which doesn't really go with the others. He goes, but I do not lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stab you in the back, but I'm not a liar. <laughs> it's like okay. The uh, more banter between Kyle and Carol. Yeah. Ooh. Her little while you go fly off of the supermodel thing. I don't know. Is am I thinking of her as older than she really is supposed to be in these comics? Because I I kind of read that and was like, Carol, you're too old to act like the jealous teenage chick. Well, you could also make a case regardless of, of how old they're, they're trying to make her be. It's just you like to think as a character that she would be beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not really – that's not you know making her like the, the, the petty, jealous you know, girl stuck in the friend zone over here. It's not – I don't know. I, I really don't like what they're doing with this. But at least, at least they haven't had him hop in bed yet. So I guess, I, so I guess that's a plus that they're just – so maybe again, maybe who knows where they're going with this? Maybe at the end of the day, it's never going to be anything. Maybe she just wants it to be, and that's where it's gonna. You know, I don't know. Screw you! I want I want my issue to, of nothing but sex scene. We've been <laughs> building up to this. I want to see how they use the light and everything. How they use the rings. <laughs> if the guardians are watching to learn about life. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's not a lot to say about this. However, I do enjoy it. Usually when we don't have a lot to say about something, it's just kind of like a... No, the issue was just kind of there. I don't I don't really hate it. Don't really love it. But I love this issue, but there's just not much to talk about, really. Or am I wrong there? No, I think you... Some, I mean, you, you hit all the high points, and it, it's... It's an interesting story arc, and, it's, and it continues, basically, that this... New Guardians, you know, seems clearly is probably to me anyway book number one of of the four of these and it's been that way from the from the get-go you got to deal with relic to start with now now and even in post relic world you know in the in the post relic world that we're dealing with um the arcs have been relatively self-contained they haven't been super long um we had the one with exeter which was only one issue we had that issue that was and we had this, which is a three-issue story arc, which is your kind of like almost like your normal size arc, two to three issues. It's it's good. It's a good read. I think it's well written. It's probably this and Red Lantern right now are the books that I probably look forward to. 
yep. every month more than the others, even though Green Lantern sh- slowly but surely showing some signs of, no pun intended, hope here, that it's getting a little bit better to read, I think. And it, it's, But New Guardians and Red Lanterns are the ones I'm most interested in, and even at this point, even Sinestro. Yeah, Sinestro's after good. It, even after reading issue number one, that Sinestro was something I, I automatically, and I still might write something up for the site about it. Not, not a full-blown review since we we're not going to be getting to Sinestro for a while. Not for a while. I shouldn't say that. We'll get this depending. We were, we had originally talked about doing maybe the first three issues. Maybe depending how it goes, maybe we'll just do like the first couple of issues just to have it like a and and deal with that. But just after just one issue, Sinestro was just jumps right to the top as far as books that you're that that you enjoy and that you want to read more of i mean right so i i that was so yeah i but new guardians really really well written a good storyline looking forward to issue 30 and it it's probably at the t- a title that's been the most most consistent so far from the beginning to end with the new creative teams okay. and certainly in the positive way it's been the most consistent absolutely Okay, well, that's it for uh, current issue reviews then, I guess. So uh, we went a little longer than we would want to. You want to just do the uh, email, and we'll save Facebook and Twitter for next time? Sure. All right. I will do the email uh, from Andrew. And Andrew, one of our – one of our the, – the core of our fan – of our da- – excuse me, our Danish fan base – we didn't know we had a Danish fan base, but apparently we do. <laughs> Huzzah! Yes, we're branching out. We're global. Soon we'll get the so soon we'll get our fan from Pogo Land. It's like yes, our mission is complete. <laughs> uh, so Andrew writes, "Hi guys, saw your plea for email, so here goes." Uh, I am loving the show, especially with the new frequency of releases. Keep it up. Yours is the best Green Lantern podcast on air. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, thanks for reading out my Twitter comment recently about the lack of focus in the storytelling. I noticed that the March numbers show that Green Lantern is selling 16,000 more copies than Green Lantern Corps and 18,000 more than New Guardians or Red Lanterns. Clearly, a lot of people are reading Green Lantern and not bothering with the others. There could be many reasons for this, but I think that a, but a, lack, that a lack of really good stories and trying to give each of the Earth Lanterns their own book is just spreading it too thinly. Back in the new pre-52 days... The two-book format worked fine, and the interactions between the Lanterns gave more time for the char- for character development. As an example, the real friendship between Guy and John. So now we have Guy and Red Lanterns. Is this to boost sales? Why is Supergirl on Red Lanterns? Is, is it to benefit her sales or theirs? But sales must be... He wrote, but sales must be the only reason. I don't think he... I think he means must not be the only reason, but either way... Uh, my conclusion is that fewer but better is the way to go, and I assume he means with titles. Love the April Fool special, especially the concept of the Alan Scott film. <laughs> it's a shame that we can't have the old Alan Scott in the new DC universe. I'm okay with the new version in Earth 2, but it's not quite the same. One good thing about Earth 2 was that they recreated the Justice Society <laughs> for a modern audience, and all was well until J- James Robinson left the book. One of the highlights of his run was a world without Superman and Batman in it. Now they are back, and I really had to despair at the way DC seems to think that a book without one or both of them has no value. He goes, I'll stop there, but keep up the good work. From the core of your Danish fan base, Andy. Yeah. And you responded to him, and then he wrote back, right? Yeah. Uh, we, 
he wrote me. I responded. He responded, and I wrote him back too one more time. So we we both written two emails. So. And he's now listened to our coverage of GL25 to 28. Another solid podcast. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Uh, yeah, Andy is our, our big Twitter, uh, one of our big Twitter guys. Um, so thanks thanks so much, Andy. And and part of the reason, even though we kind of went over on time or are or, or, or getting close to it, um, part of the reason I wanted to just do this email and uh, – and save Twitter and uh, Facebook for next time is because I told you people I wanted emails, and I think for Andy to you know s- step up and send us a, a, an email, the, then uh, and it's the only one we got, then we'll just read it by itself and give it its time in the sun, and then we'll just hold off on the on the social media stuff until next time so that we can. Tell you how ser- show you how serious we are about aw- how awesome it is for us to have emails to read. Um, so thank you, Andy. You rock. This is the the Andy portion of the show. Yes, <laughs> and you deserve it, Andy. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, man, I can't believe GL is selling that much more than than all the others. I guess it has nothing to do with quality and just all about brand brand recognition. Well, it would. And to a certain extent, it makes sense because if people, if you're not a diehard Green Lantern fan, but even if you maybe if you, even if you are a diehard Green Lantern fan, if you're only going to buy one book, you probably would tend to gravitate towards the flagship title, the main title. And it depends who your Green Lantern is too, and that's fact, and that factors in, I think, to it as well. I mean, if if you're a Kyle guy and you're only buying one book, if you if you're a Green Lantern guy who happen to like Kyle, but you're really more of a fan of Green of Green Lantern as a concept than the emotional spectrum then what do you do do you buy kyle's book do you it is kind of a little it is kind of depressing that it's um it is selling more than the other books uh we could actually maybe that's something we could potentially start discussing once in a while you know sales on this to see how the books how the books are doing that i think all i think all the books all the books i think certainly are suffering now in the post john's Era. I think it's not. I don't think it's a surprise. I don't think to DC it was a surprise. I'm sure they were expecting a drop off, and some people have you know even questions like when, when exactly do you get to the point of a drop off when it becomes something you look at if you're DC and who knows that they, who knows what goes on behind closed doors. Maybe they maybe they're thinking about it now if they have to, or they will be if if it continues. Or they'll be doing it soon if it con- continues. <laughs> that when do you get to the point where it's like okay we expected a drop we, you know we lost Jeff Johns we expected there was going to be a big drop off but you know when do we start looking at the numbers and go okay you know I think we need to do something about this because you don't want to get to the point where you're off the radar screen again and have to rebuild everything um, I don't know I think I don't I would you know <laughs> you have to suspect that having such a long ass storyline especially in core because real Realistically, other than the relic issue and what the year one issue, mm. pretty much every issue has been dealing with the Durlins, right? In some way, shape, or form, including like the first couple of issues of the creative team. Mm-hmm. That you had Durlins, you had the shapeshifters show up right in the beginning of I think John's first issue of Core, I thought, when they find that ship or and the radiation is being stolen or whatever. So, the story, the long arc isn't helping. I think sales for certainly. Probably either one of the books. New, Gu- I mean, I'm surprised New Guardians isn't doing a little better. I mean, I think Red Lanterns is. I'm, I think Red Lanterns is doing better. I'd have to check the numbers to be sure, but I think Red Lanterns is doing better now. In 
you know, in the big picture, it's doing better, I think. Uh, well, clearly they're not worried about saturating the market. If you, no, right now if you I think... Rest, if you take recent news into account. No, yeah, I mean... And you can just... I mean, they can justify it in a way, too, for Lantern titles, you know, because of... You know, because you know Larfleet is going to be gone. Dead Larfleet is just winding down now. Some will say it winded down a long time ago. <laughs> some some would say it never wound up. <laughs> it never wound up. There's no battery to wind, no arm to wind on that watch. Uh, but that series will be officially done soon, and now we have Sinestro basically taking that series place. Um, I don't know. It, it's inter- The sales are kind of an interesting thing to think about. And it is an interesting thing to wonder: Is there going to be a cut? Do they have a cutoff in their own minds? Do they have a cutoff point where, or have or do you have to get past that cutoff point a couple of months in a row before you you say, okay, now we need to do something different? But I don't know. Forget, it'll be it'll be real interesting because we are getting close to a you know a year's worth of issues now in the new creative team, and uh, and it'll be. Uh, Interesting to see where they go from there, especially once this arc finally, once they finally get done with the whole Durlan Kuhn thing, because I think they, I th- certainly think they've they've sapped some of the, if they if there was some kind of momentum going into the new creative teams, and there was some because there was a lot of Johns burnout, even from people who really liked Jeff Johns and his run, there still was some Jeff Johns burnout with those people too that they felt that maybe there was time for a new direction in the book. I. You can't help but think they probably have alienated a certain percentage of those people with the with the story arcs that they've done. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, that's that's Sinestro's like basically like we said: New Guardians, Red Lantern, Sinestro. Green Lantern's getting better. Green Lantern Corps. It's just suffering because of the the Durlin thing's been going on forever. Um, with uh, the Future's End stuff and what's supposedly going to be going on with Guy uh, later on. We won't... I mean, even though it's news, technically I guess it could be spoiler-y for whatever's coming up. So I guess we won't talk about it here. Uh, We talked about it on Facebook, I think, a little bit. So, I mean, with all that stuff, I don't know. Are they they saturating it or are they just teasing us too far in advance? I, I I don't know. Um, I am enjoying the Supergirl stuff. It's just it's just a new element, uh, a new element in the storyline, uh, and it has to do with something I'm familiar with. I mean, they introduced a new element to a storyline that I was interested in, but it was an element that I'm familiar with, but in a way that I'm not familiar with it. You know what I mean? Yes. So that that makes it interesting to me, and I'm curious about what's going to go on there. Um, as far as uh, <laughs> the Alan Scott stuff, I'm not caught up with Earth 2 at all. As a matter of fact, I am so far behind. Um, the last time I read anything Earth 2 related, it was they uh, Flash and uh, someone else were going into some crazy zone to get into the Tower of Fate and get the helmet of Naboo. And those issues were so wordy. Earth 2 was a wordy SOB of a book. It might have been a good book with James Robinson. I have no problem admitting that. 
but it was absolutely as good as the book was. It was equally wordy. And I read novels for fun and and books about philosophy and sociology and stuff. So a lot of words isn't a problem for me, but you just don't expect it in a comic book. It's just so many word balloons in those books. And I was just like, eh, I'll catch up eventually. (laughs) And it's been a while now. So I don't know what's going on with Alan. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Superman and Batman. At the point I left or dropped off the book, uh, Superman and Batman were still gone. And, uh, yeah, the only world's finest stuff that was going on was Huntress and uh, Batgirl as Power Girl and uh, Huntress. Right. Yeah. Helena. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. But... Yeah, I miss old Alan Scott, too. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, well, what are you going to do? No, not much you can do. Yep. <laughs> but a lot of people are going to miss old Wally West, too. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Psycho there. All right. Well, um, thanks for the email, Andy. Really appreciate it. Yes, it was an excellent email. For sure. Uh, and uh, you guys should also email us or leave us a voicemail or contact us some other way. And how would they go about that, Mark? <laughs> I, I'm not sure, Chad. <laughs> if you'd like to contact us, you can email us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, lanterncast.com, and through the site you can access our forums, you can check out our galleries, products of the week, and other things. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can use hashtag GLCast to find us on both of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you like us on iTunes, please leave a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN and let us know what you think. All right, guys, next time around, issue 30s, and then we'll be pretty pretty close to basically caught up. Well, we will be as far as everything that's actually released from the main four titles. I mean, as far as being able to do a full review of the current issue, once we do the 30s, that's, that'll be it. I mean, we'll have to, we would have to wait a few weeks even if we wanted to to do the 31s. Awesome. Which doesn't mean you guys will hear it. As soon as possible. <laughs> but as far as recording goes, we basically when we'll finally get to a point that once all four issues are out, we'll be able to uh, record and release an episode that actually has to do with those fairly close to when they actually come out. <laughs> Indeed. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Sounds good. Good night, everybody. Got my smoking jacket on. A very special episode of the Lantern Cast. <laughs> Lantern Cast, After Dark. It's when we finally talk about the pornographic parodies of Green Lantern. You knew this episode was coming. Chad failed to mention he's wearing a smoking jacket and nothing else. Wait for the DVD. You knew this was coming, dear listener. You know you want it. I believe that's the opening line to the first parody we'll be covering tonight. And then we go into the second one called The Pizza Man. All will be well.